Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and today we are starting a new series called Looking for Jesus looking for Jesus. And this is the month of Easter. And uh, typically um, for Easter, churches usually do a lot of like pastel colors, a lot of, uh, a lot of vibrant looks to it. And it's just like this fun, pleasant time, throwing some butterflies. And uh, for the last couple uh, years, our Easter graphic has looked uh, a little more serious. Like I think one year we, the Easter series was the the bloody cross and the empty tomb <laughs> and right before i picked uh this kind of look for the series it was just a black and white image with a, a tattoo looking bible um and it said uh, in like this old english lettering looking for jesus and lauren just looked at me and said i just think it needs a little more color <laughs> and so lo and behold looking for jesus and it almost looks like an old school youth graphic if you think about it um <laughs> depending on what kind of church your youth group was. Um, But this whole month, we're going to be looking at this idea of different times in Scripture where people were looking for Jesus, physically looking for him. And we're going to look about how it applies to our lives. Today, we're going to talk about the idea of how do I do this? How do I do this? And we're going to look at the life, uh, the moment of Peter and John when they were first told that Jesus's body was missing and the scripture is in John chapter 20 verse 1 through 8 it says now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already removed from the tomb so she ran and came to Simon Peter and told the other disciple whom Jesus loved which is John And said to them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. It goes on to say, so Peter and the other disciple left, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. That's how you know John wrote this part of the, (laughs) this book of the Bible. He's like, and I beat him too. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooped to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there however did not go in so simon peter also came following him and he entered the tomb and he looked at the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings but folded up in a place by itself so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered then and he saw and believed so this This first idea that I want us to grasp in this scripture is the moment that Peter and John left running to the tomb. They didn't really know what they were doing. This is a moment where when Mary told them that the body was missing, they had not yet believed in the resurrection. So they're thinking that either she doesn't know what she's talking about or someone stole Jesus's body. Either way, they want to go and investigate and fix it. And And really, they don't even know how to fix it, but they just start running. And I want us to just resonate with this idea of the moments where we feel like we need to do something, 
We don't necessarily know all of the steps or all the right procedures, but we're just trying the best we can. And it, it's this moment where it's like, I'm running as fast as I can. I'm doing the best that I can. And true passion is seen in the willingness to try. True passion is seen in the willingness to try. It's not in the, the ability to do it right, but the willingness to try. And in this moment that they didn't understand the, re the resurrection, they ran to the tomb to try to investigate or fix the problem. And they were simply trying their best, even if they didn't know exactly how. They just started running as fast as they could. When you are trying to find Jesus in your life, there are moments where you feel like you truly are trying your best. You don't even know if you're doing, it, uh, doing certain things right, but you're willing to try. When I first gave my life to Christ, I was very far off from, from God. And all I knew is that I needed God in my life, and I was willing to try. I just started reading the Bible from front to back, and experienced Christians say that you shouldn't do that, but the Holy Spirit is much more powerful than our ideas. And I remember as I was getting closer to God, I, I, was, I was not reading the Bible the way that is recommended. I, I was just reading from Genesis forward. And I was also just, I, I didn't know really how to pray, and so I would just, uh, I would sit down, and I would sit like 20 minutes and just like think about God. And I didn't know what to say or what to do, but I would just sit there and I would really just focus my mind on God. And that's all I would do for like 20 minutes a day. And there's a moment where I, I, I read about fasting in, in the Bible early on. And I was like, oh, man, what is that? And then I remembered in middle school, I had a friend that uh, I think it's Ramadan, where they have a, a, a month where 30 days where they fast for their religion. And. I remember, uh, I remember when I was with him, he wouldn't eat from sunup to sundown. And so I was like, well, shoot, maybe I could do that, but for, for my God. And so I scheduled out this, this, this weekend where I went to uh, visit an old friend of mine. And uh, he was older, he was married. I was still in high school. And I, I was telling him all about my newfound faith and how I was just like figuring all these little things out about God and how... Uh, it was just like this, this undescribable passion that I was finding. And I said, and I'm going to do a fast uh, tomorrow. Do you guys want to do it with me? And they're like, what's that? I said, well, I don't really know. <laughs> but it's just we're, we're not going to eat from sunup to sundown. We're not going to eat or drink any water or anything. And we're going to just like focus on God and like pray and stuff. And they're like, all right, bet. And so they're willing to do it too. And so that day we started... I didn't eat any food that day and we like dedicate like we just knew that we were trying to do something for God. And that whole day I didn't eat any food, drink any water. We got up early before like six in the morning so that we could eat before sunup. And we planned to go to China Buffet at, at sundown. And all day I didn't eat anything. I didn't drink any water. And I was really feeling it. So I smoked weed all day. I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I, I was so, I, I literally was just starting out in my faith. And, and I was still doing drugs. I was still doing other things. And even though I was still in my, my mess of stuff, God still met me, even though I was smoking weed all day. And I would argue that I, in fact, made my fast much more intense. Because there's certain side effects of smoking marijuana. 
Amen. <laughs> and I've never been more thirsty in my life. <laughs> People have ever complained about having dry mouth. You have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I might as well have been in a desert just yearning for a drop of water. But I digress. At the end of that day, even though we didn't know what I was doing, I was clearly doing some things that were questionable, right? <laughs> and at the end of the day, before we go to our big China buffet moment, I said, wait, wait, let's, let's sit down and let's just pray like, to God and say, like, here you go. <laughs> Here, here's this day. And so we sat down Indian style on the floor. And I just started praying. I don't even know what I said. But the Holy Spirit's presence showed up in such a powerful way. I'm talking about, you're talking about people who were not raised in church. Three people who were not raised in church. We didn't know what we were doing. We just had this idea about God. And we wanted to know him. We were willing to try. And God's presence showed up so powerful. It was one of the most uh, powerful moments of my, in my young faith of actually experiencing God's presence. To the point where the, the girl that was there too, she just started weeping and crying in God's presence. And at that moment, I knew I was going to be a pastor. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I was like, dang, like, God's really speaking to her. But it was such a powerful, powerful moment. We didn't do it right <laughs> in some people's eyes. We, we were doing things weird. It, we didn't have the right prayers. All we had was that we were willing to try. And a lot of you guys are in points of your faith or points in your life to where you don't really have it all figured out, but you're willing to try. And people often wait for the passion to simply appear one day. We wait for the passion to just show up. But it is in these, this kind of aggression, this kind of aggressive pursuit that activates passion. The way that Peter and John were literally running as fast as they could to where they're running over a long distance. If you've ever been like when you were younger, I remember I would always, uh, when I was a youth in San Antonio, I'd walk everywhere, take the via bus. And generally when you're walking with someone or even if you start running because you're tired of like being so behind and you want to get there faster, you start running you generally do not leave your friend behind. <laughs> you always just walk together, like match each other's pace. So you arrive, because you're both going to the same place. They were so passionate that John was like, all right, I'll see you there. <laughs> and this is a long distance. And they're the, just that passionate that they were aggressively pursuing something, even though they didn't understand what they were pursuing. And that's an aggressive pursuit. It takes, it takes that kind of aggressive pursuit in our lives to really find and activate passion. It's not just true for our faith, but this is, all, this is true for nearly all things. For example, in marriage, within marriages, the most common phrase is that we fell out of love. And I would argue that if you actively pursue your spouse like you are madly in love with them, the passion will return. I strongly believe that when... You act as though you're in love, the love will, the feelings will follow. Love is not just a flutter of the heart. Love is not just feelings. It is an action and a choice. You do not always feel love 
but you can choose to love. Another example is even in health. In health, I would argue that if one were to make strict decisions like as if they were passionate about their health, they will eventually become passionate about their health. See, the action first, and the feelings will follow. Even with your job, if you act like you care about your job, you will start to care about your job. If you act like you care about your job, you will eventually begin to care about your job. Our emotions follow our actions. So be willing to try, be willing to fail, be willing to try again, and be willing to try in a new creative way. Passion dies without action. Passion dies without action. There's no true statement, uh, no truer time in which the idea of don't, if you don't use it, you lose it applies. If you don't use passion with through action, it will die. You have to constantly feed it. You have to constantly water it, and it will grow. Now, let's go into our next point, which is what does it all mean? What does it all mean? You ran, you ran, and you ran, and now you actually showed up to where you were going, and you're like, what does all this mean? With deeper passion comes deeper questions. When Peter approached the tomb, he really began to burn with curiosity. Imagine the whole way there, the questions he was having. All of the flashback moments he was having of Jesus when he was alive, and all of the questions and curiosity he had, like, was, was everything alive? Was, was he just crazy? What does this all mean? Why, is he, why, why did this happen? And the moment that he got to the tomb, even deeper questions began to rose. The more that he saw, the more questions arose in his heart. He went past this comfortable and commonly acceptable space, and he went into a dead man's tomb. Think about that for a moment. It's kind of spooky just going to a graveyard, let alone entering a tomb. And in, in Jewish culture, a, a person is made unclean if they are in the presence of a dead person. And so this, this moment, where that's why John waited outside of the tomb. He ran there ahead and he was just peeking in and was like, man, I wonder what, what all this means. And Peter gets there and is like, you haven't gone in yet? And just goes right in. He went beyond what was commonly acceptable. He went beyond what felt comfortable and just dug in. And these, the deep questions in his heart, the deep passion in his heart caused these deep questions. Deep passion causes deep questions. And it is normal, a normal and genuine reaction to have meaningful questions about something that you care deeply about. It is a normal reaction, a genuine reaction, to have deep questions to something you care deeply about. I would argue that sometimes the lack of deep questions show a shallow understanding. The lack of deep questions often show a shallow understanding. What have we been doing in churches? What have we really been doing? I mean, I don't know how many sermons I could uh, just swipe through and find that where it's just talking about nothing. 
Nothing is being activated. Nothing new is being taught. It's just a, another encouraging, slightly motivating message that's not really that motivating. You're just like, yeah, that's true. If that, maybe at the end of the message, you're just like, what did I, what just happened? <laughs> I don't even know what they said. They just like threw up all these verses. Or they didn't even say a verse. <laughs> I don't know what happened. We're not getting anywhere in, in growing our faith because none of these deep questions we have are being answered. And when people actually publicly ask a deep question, what happens? You shouldn't be asking stuff like that. You get mad, they get angry. If we cannot simply explain ourselves, then maybe it's because we have a shallow understanding of our faith. See, it's the initial moment of having that, that moment of blind faith, of believing without seeing is special. But there's a plethora of knowledge and deep diving that can be done that gives plenty of explanation to our faith. There, there's, there's so much explanation for deep questions. And in the last couple of years, there's been so many uh, very popular once Christian people that have publicly abandoned their faith. And the reasons that they give are so bogus. <laughs> they put this whole, this, so many people put this long outline as if they're, they, they're leaving their faith because they have these deep questions that they could never find answers to. It's like, man, I, like, that's not even a deep question. Those are, you're not special. Everyone thinks that. And, and it's answerable. You, didn't, you must not have looked very far. There's so much stuff that is easy to find. And the problem is, is that some, these people have gone to shallow understanding thinkers of Scripture and are given these, these slap label answers. They just believe. That, that's what faith is for. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> what about this, though? Well, that's just what you just got to believe and trust God. It's like, you don't, I don't think you know. <laughs> See, I, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that these kinds of questions are good. In, in, in youth groups, I remember when I was a youth pastor and we'd have a little small group time. And I remember a moment where this young man started to ask questions. And he, he asked a very reasonable question. So uh, we just give money to the church and the pastors just keep all that? <laughs> it's like a legitimate question. Wouldn't you, it, we're supposed to be transparent and good stewards and, <laughs> and provide a, an atmosphere of trust. And you know what happened? Uh, another kid that had been more, uh, going to church longer than he has, like, man, what are you doing? <laughs> what, you don't ask that kind of stuff. You're just, trying to, you're just trying to be bad. Stop it. I was like, hey, chill, man. <laughs> That's a good question. See, we need to be able to answer reasonable questions. So many young people, you know that 75% of young people that were raised in church abandon their faith as soon as they get out of high school, as soon as they go off to college. And so many people have tried to understand why. They're like, oh, it's because the universities are, are uh, preaching the secularism. They're tricking our youth. It's like, nah, dog, they're actually explaining stuff. They're, they're answering questions, but with their bias. The only difference is you had a bias too, but you just didn't even answer the question. You're not giving anything to them. And then you're wondering, why, why would they leave? It's, it's because we've been giving these baby, and not even baby messages, 
these incoherent messages to our youth that talk about nothing. All we tell young people is just don't have sex and break up with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend. That's pretty much 90% of every youth pastor's message. And they're not teaching anything about Jesus. We're not teaching anything about the cross. We're not teaching anything about the resurrection. How long ago was it that in our feedback questions, a, 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 a young girl in this group is middle school, right, Autumn? Middle school? She asked a, a, a very meaningful theological question. And it was, it was just so deep. It was, how can we pray to Jesus instead of God? Man, what a deep theological question. Rooted in, in just the simple understanding to where it was a genuine question that had a completely reasonable answer to it. And that was a young person. Uh, arguably a child had that kind of thought and conception of God. And we think that, we can't, that they can't handle simple stuff. If they can understand chemistry, algebra, then I think kids can understand the simplicity of the gospel message. And we, if we cannot explain the simplicity of the gospel message, it's because we do not yet understand the simplicity of the gospel message. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Deep passion comes deep questions. We need to stop stifling passion in our young people and stop stifling passion in ourselves. If you have a deep question, I urge you to find an answer and seek it out. The only kinds of questions that are wrong are the ones that aren't looking for answers at all. The questions that are only looking for another reason to question. Whether it's your faith, your future, your career, your spouse, your kids, anything that you care about, having meaningful questions is healthy and important. Having meaningful questions is healthy and important. It, and I want to I emphasize when it comes to community, as a church, as real believers, how are we really going to connect with one another if we don't ask real questions about one another? Aren't y'all tired of this shallow church to where we just say hi and back, bye and act like everything's okay? Don't you, don't you yearn to just really open up to somebody of like-minded faith and be able to ex express what's really going in on your heart? To be able to share your, your, your raw emotion with someone and them not just judge you and look at you weird, but to really respond with genuine compassion the way Jesus would? See, how could we ever get there if we don't ask deep questions about each other? I think that was the one thing that really was successful about me and Lauren being youth pastors is that we would ask kids real questions. If a kid would tell me, oh, I'm going to my mom's, I would ask, are your parents divorced? Well, yeah, they are. So do you prefer to live at your mom's or your dad's? And they would tell me. It, and I would start asking so many questions because I would care about this kid. And by the time we, we were ready to leave and we had to move here, kids were crying and bawling and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. It's like, I don't even remember your name. <laughs> but it was in the moments that we would just invest time in, in actually talking to them, getting to know them, that we would connect with them. And it was the first time that they actually felt like they were heard. And it was only because someone was willing to ask some deep questions. 
Not in a judgmental way, not in an investigative way, but just in a simple way of, I want to know you. And it's, it's high time for the church to start behaving that way, to where we actually know each other. It's the only way that we can actually show that we really care to know. It doesn't mean that we always get sure answers, but it does mean that we care to know. And that kind of interest is honoring to people, and it's honoring to things that are valuable. Let me share this verse. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 8, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is a guarantee. This is a guarantee in Scripture that if you seek, you will find. It doesn't say a time frame of how soon you will find, but it says you will find it. If you knock, keep knocking, this door will be open. I, I urge us, I urge you, whether it's your faith, whether it's a meaningful relationship, whether it's, it's your future, your, your, your career path, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and God will answer you. You, you must be willing to try, and try, and try. And you're going to find the answer. So that leads me to our last point, which is trying to tell me something. I'm sorry, I just totally spaced out because I thought of that episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where SpongeBob is being followed by a salesman. <laughs> he said, I've got the feeling like somebody's trying to sell me something. <laughs> it's just, y'all wouldn't understand. But trying to tell me something. <laughs> God will leave obvious clues to help you keep going. God will leave you obvious clues to help you keep going. Inside the tomb, Peter is walking around and he sees all these mysterious clues. Him and John are looking at these mysterious clues and it's showing that something meaningful had happened. All of these mysterious clues showed that something meaningful had happened. The massive stone was rolled away from the entrance of the tomb, even though all of Jesus' followers were too scared to even approach the tomb at the time. They were still hiding from all of the Pharisees. The, so the stone being rolled away, and if the, the linen wrappings of Jesus' body were taken off, if, they were take, uh, if his body was stolen, why would they unwrap him? See, it's these like mysterious questions, these, these clues that were left. And his face cloth, the, the cloth that covered specifically Jesus' head, was off to the side and folded. If his body was stolen, they wouldn't have, why would they have taken time to fold this cloth and separate it from the rest? And it was actually folded in the same way a dinner guest would fold their napkin to show that they were finished. So there's all this, this weird symbolism, all of these, these weird coincidences, all of these clues that it produced mystery as well as certainty. It produced mystery as well as certainty. I want you to think about those moments in your life when you felt like God was trying to tell you something. And it would be like these mysterious signs, but it would always point you in the general direction. 
It's not that God just simply told you, but it was like he was trying to tell you. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And the reason that this is meaningful, because it, at this point it says that John saw all of these clues and then he believed. He saw the clues and then believed. And John is a prophet. And so it shows here how even just his prophetic gifting is, is just uh, being activated in this moment that he is seeing God work in things that other people see as ordinary. And when you're looking with, with a spiritual perspective, you're able to see things that one person would think is natural or ordinary, but you're able to see it as miraculous, as divine, as meaningful. And in the same way God speaks to us, he speaks to all of us this, and, uh, all of the time in these kinds of ways. The way that he spoke to the people in parables. Think about that for a moment. Jesus spoke in parables to the people. These like allusions to where they would have to figure it out. They would almost have to make a guess. In the same way, the Holy Spirit speaks through these kinds of clues to show us that he is moving and that he is here. I want to argue this idea that God is a lot closer than you think. That God is a lot closer to you than you think. And that he is walking with you in this journey of figuring things out. And let's, let's take a moment to independently think about what it is you're trying to figure out in your life. What is it that you're trying to figure out in your life right now? Let's be personal for a moment. And now I want you to believe and understand that God is with you in figuring that out. He is with you in figuring this out. He is walking with you. And the fact that he doesn't always clearly tell you the answer, it shows that he trusts you to find it out on your own. But even though you're finding out it on your own, you're not finding it out alone. I believe a constant thing that God is trying to say to his people is his resurrecting and saving power. His resurrecting and saving power. He has spoken, not just in clues, but in more obvious ways about the righteous potential of his salvation. And I'm not just talking about this idea that is per perpetuated of hell insurance. Jesus is so much more than the idea of hell insurance. He has the resurrecting power within him. It, he, has, he promises life and life abundantly. Now, prosperity gospel messages have really projected this idea that life abundantly means uh, vanity. That it's in, the life abundance is material things. The abundant life that Jesus promised, it, it, it's, it, it's almost too hard to articulate. It's, it's almost like a moment where when you experience electricity... Is different than just knowing about electricity. If you were to look at this power outlet in the wall, you know that electricity is behind that power outlet, right? You have faith. You can't see it, but you believe that there's power behind that. If you were to go and stick a fork in there, you would experience true power. <laughs> you would not just believe in electricity, you would experience electricity. And 
That is the kind of abundant life that Jesus has promised to us. And it's, it's really, it's high time for us to, to really look for Jesus in our lives. And there's moments where we need to look for him in a new way, in, in a fresh way. It's so easy for us to get into these religious routines. I believe that, that it's important to have disciplines in our faith, devotions in our faith. I think it's important to have checkboxes. But there's, there's a point where we lose that passion. And I believe that passion is best experienced in the practice of sharing Jesus with others. That practice of sharing the love of God with someone else. It's one thing for us to read scripture, to pray, uh, to fast, to, to have worship. It's one thing to have that. And those are all meaningful things that we should have. But it's a whole nother experience when you meet a complete stranger and, and you share the love of God with them. It, it's a different kind of experience when you're driving past a uh, a person or a family on the side of the road with a sign asking for money and the Holy Spirit says, go and give them money. And you, you make your excuse like, I don't have cash on me, God. Can't do it. And then the Holy Spirit says, go to the ATM. <laughs> you're like, well, then I, I would need to break a 20. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit says, just give them the 20. <laughs> and you're like, oh, frick, I didn't know I could do that. But when you experience just the simple sacrificial generosity to, to a human being like that, it hits differently than just reading a couple verses that morning. You should still read a couple verses that morning, yeah, but it hits differently when you're actually practicing it. All throughout Scripture, look throughout James, it says, faith without works is dead. It, and it specifically talks about moments how can, you, how can a brother or sister come to you and say, uh, I'm in need, and you say, uh, go in peace, God bless you, but you give them nothing to eat, you're nothing to wear. It literally says, your prayers are worthless. <laughs> it literally says, you have the power to help them, and you chose not to help them. How much more meaningful it is to minister as hands and feet of Jesus rather than praying for Jesus to work through somebody else. Being activated and showing the love of God is one of the simplest, not easiest, ways to find Jesus in your life again. Beyond the routine. Beyond the checkbox. Practicing the love of God with people. Sharing the love of God with people is the best way to find Him. Running as fast as you can. Trying, even though you don't know how to do it right. Just try. And you'll figure things out. That's why Jesus said, trust the Holy Spirit is with you. Don't worry about what words, uh, if you have the right words to say, the Holy Spirit will speak on your behalf. It, I mean, Jesus literally says, just try. Just try it out. Just try it out. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here, and maybe this idea that I'm talking about abundant life, this comparison of even... Uh, uh, of the power of electricity and really experiencing Jesus, not just for health insurance, but experiencing Jesus in your life is something that your heart wants today. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. 
And so the Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have an authentic conversation with Jesus, that that's all it takes. That's all it takes to start that kind of relationship with him in your life. And you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to Jesus yourself. And if you're here and you just feel like the Holy Spirit is is trying to tell you something. You feel like the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you something. And you and you just want to walk in that direction. You just want to try and go off of those clues and you're ready to to just simply try whatever it is he's trying to tell you. I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see all your hands. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power to come over each person here today. I pray that every person in this room would feel the activated Holy Spirit presence in their life right now, in their body, a tangible feeling, a clue that you are with them and that they would know without a doubt that they can be certain that you are speaking to them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause people to experience the real you. That they wouldn't be satisfied with emotional ideas, but that they would truly experience the presence of God in their life. Finish what you started in your people. In Jesus' name, amen. With that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. And before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.